Hello, and thank you for joining us in today's edition of Revo Talk, a podcast from RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. I'm Melissa Oshman, the CEO here at RevoTrack, and I'm excited to be here with my co-host, Hannah Hansard. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back. Thanks, Hannah. Um, and so I just want to introduce to you our guest today. I'm so excited. Uh, we have Dr. Roman McInerney. Roman, first of all, is my amazing husband. He is also a father, a veteran, and a pediatrician. So thank you, Roman, for joining us today. And we'd love to hear a little bit about your, your background, your career, and, you know, just some basic life history stuff. Okay. Well, thank you guys uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. And I just want to say it's been really awesome to watch this company grow from what was just an idea from just conversations that, you know, Melissa was having with other people now seeing it materializing and manifesting into what it is now. I'm really excited to see what you guys do moving forward. Um, okay. So a little bit about myself. And if I do uh, go on or get on tangents, please feel free to redirect me. Um, so I am a, a pediatric resident, as uh, Melissa had indicated. I'm about to finish up uh, my residency program in the next uh, eight months or so, and then we'll be relocating back in Texas where I hope to start practicing general pediatrics. Um, my background, a little bit about me. Um, so I am the oldest of three children. Um, my mom was a single mom from Honduras, and um, it was kind of a non-traditional background and upbringing. I had a lot of responsibility growing up, kind of being the, uh, the father figure for my, for my uh, younger siblings. Uh, my mom always uh, pushed me to be, a, you know, responsible and to be, uh, you know, a good example for my younger siblings. But at the same time, she always impressed upon me the idea that, you know, there's nothing you can't achieve. Like for her coming to the United States and being able to have the opportunities that she had here versus what she had back home was a, a big thing. And a big part of her life message to me was that, you know, in this country, you can you can accomplish anything, you can do anything. So don't ever feel limited. Like if you see somebody else accomplishing something, you have to look at them and say like, hey, why can't I do that? And so that really put a, a kind of a drive and a passion in me to uh, really strive for um, the upper echelon of whatever I thought I wanted to do. And so initially when I looked into different careers and stuff in high school, I think I, I had entertained the idea of healthcare. And uh, initially I wanted to go into nursing, which is a great field. Um, but then after some time, I actually uh, decided to change to uh, medicine. And so I went pre-med and um, I really um, have enjoyed the challenges of just what that entails in terms of, you know, having to be on top of your academic work, um, you know, the, the interesting things you learn about science, things of that nature. Um, my last semester, um, I actually had the opportunity to study abroad in New Zealand. And I think that was one of the more pivotal times in my life because I got to actually be overseas. Now, I was in the military, although I actually didn't get to go overseas during my time in the army. So I was just stationed here in the United States. And so getting to go overseas really for the first time as, a, as an undergraduate, once I finished my, my uh, once I was finishing my, my college work, it was a very eye-opening experience um, because I was able to go to study not only in New Zealand, but I went to Australia, I went to Southeast Asia. And it was really eye-opening to be able to see people in other countries, you know, where their language is not the main language of uh, basically, you know, global uh, communication or global business or healthcare. 
because we're very fortunate in English speaking countries to have that, that the, the language we grow up with is the language that we communicate with and the language that we kind of expect everybody else to speak. And so um, getting to visit those other countries and appreciating, you know, what they have to do in order to learn another language is, uh, was very eye-opening to me. And not only that in Southeast Asia, but then, you know, it's not only different language, but a different culture. Um, you know, it's our, it's the East Asian culture, which is so significantly different from what, you know, we have here, here in the United States and much of, uh, the North, North American and uh, South American continent. You know, we do have, you know, different languages, but we're still very Westernized as far as culture and religion, you know, that we're growing up with, you know, either Catholicism or Christianity or over there, you know, it's going to be a lot more about Buddhism, things of that nature. So different languages, of course, uh, different religion. And it was just such a beautiful experience, even though these countries are so poor, a lot of them are just, uh, you know, they find joy and pleasure in the simple things in life. And uh, you don't have to have that much money in order to be happy. And I think for me, um, getting to appreciate those parts, those other parts of the world were very, very, um, very, very, um, not only eye-opening, but it put me at a certain peace with the way things are uh, as far as things in the United States, things around the globe in general, because it's just such a beautiful uh, experience to be able to go to a part of the world that you're not comfortable with and that you get to see the way that things are done differently. And there's just so much variety in, in, in this earth that we're really lucky to be able to um, experience it. And I'm really hoping, you know, once COVID restrictions come down fully, that people are able to travel again and see other parts of the world and, you know, see how things are done differently. Really, variety is the spice of life. Anyways, that whole experience kind of pushed me to study public health once I started medical school, um, simply because uh, public health, there's a lot large component of international health. But there's also this uh, sense of, you know, community first when it comes to uh, public health versus uh, just traditional medicine. Um, you know, you look at medicine and the way that a lot of uh, physicians function is like, okay, how do I work with the patient in front of me? But with public health, it's about the, not only the patient in front of you, but the community around you. Because the community around you and the community around the patient have a lot to do with uh, their health status, their health outcomes, and things of that nature. And I think being cognizant of that as a physician is really important because, particularly in American society, I think physicians are often revered and looked at with a, with a certain lens, like, oh, you know, this person's a doctor. Like, so they lend a lot of credence to, you know, what you what you do and what you say, and you're kind of an example for the community. And so with that being what it is, it's really important that I think you take into consideration what is good for the community, what people need um, as far as not just, you know, their medications, but, you know, other things available to them within the community to make them, you know, the healthiest they can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I kind of, I, I want to go back to you talking about studying abroad and visiting other countries, you know, um, I was lucky enough to, whenever I was in college, I studied abroad as well. Um, but it's also, uh, I, I also used to be a college admissions counselor. And whenever we're recruiting students for specific programs at my particular university, there are programs that actually require students to study abroad because they think that that exposure to different cultures and that exposure to different people and different languages is so important. So um, can you kind of expand on that a little more? And uh, you're exactly right. Once COVID is all over, like I'm getting on a plane and I'm getting out of here. 
Yeah, uh, you know, definitely. Those are, I think, the plans for a lot of people. But yeah, I think in, in today's global society where globalization has interconnected us in a way that we've never been interconnected before, it is definitely something that uh, not only should be, uh, you know, a part of people's education, but it, it's compulsory in a lot of different uh Areas. If you're going to do international business, I mean, how are you going to really say that you graduated and you have a good handle on that if you haven't actually studied abroad? Um, and so it is it is a very important, I think, kind of experience, um, you know, for those who are uh, going to higher education or even, you know, in, in high school um, in, in Germany or a lot of European countries, actually, it's very standard for uh, students in high school to spend a year abroad in a, uh, another country. Um, and that's often done in an English-speaking country just so that they can get a better handle on their English. But it's something that's done also just because they do want to kind of expose people to other things outside of just what they may have been exposed to in Germany. And so I don't see this becoming less important in the future. I see it becoming more important just because globalization, uh, the interconnections that we have from technology, uh, communications, uh, traveling, it's becoming an essential part of, uh, you know, competency, I think in not only like healthcare, but in business, you know, international, you know, marketing, a lot of those things, it is really vital. Mm -hmm. Engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Engineering as well. Um, that's one of the colleges on uh, my former university's campus that does require, um, students to go and study abroad. So no, I, I absolutely agree. I think that is so, so, so important. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, and so um, I wanted to touch on something a little bit different um, that you had also mentioned. So if you don't mind, I wanted to go back. You you talked a lot about um, how important it was to, for you to study public health. And um, you mentioned um, a couple of times about the community being important. Um, to to healthcare, not only um, overseas but also in the U.S. So, so can you kind of dive in a little bit deeper about um, about that aspect? Yeah. So, I mean, the the community that we grew up in has a lot to do with our healthcare because the community is composed of a lot of different things, including you know the the culture of the local community, um, societal norms, things of that nature. And so, if you grow up in a particular, um, you know, say like with the Hispanic culture that I grew up with. Um, the, the culture oftentimes for, um, children is that, you know, you want to feed them, feed them, feed them. And, you know, a nice, happy, plump child is, is a healthy child. But oftentimes, you know, what we see with these, these same kind of cultural values in today's society, where we have such a over availability of things like sugary snacks, fatty foods, things like this. So applying those same cultural values in today's context is often um, detrimental to children. You know, it used to be people, at least, you know, when I grew up, and I think it's the same for Melissa, going out to eat was something you did maybe like once every two weeks. But now oftentimes you see that it's three or four times a week. And oftentimes it's to places that are like fast food establishments. And so all of those things um, are things you have to be aware of when you um, are dealing with, uh, say, an individual from a certain background. Like, okay, like, know your kid. I told you, you need to get your kid to maybe, you know, be a little more healthier, try to work on maybe like losing some weight or at the very least not gaining any more weight. And, but the, the culture they're coming from, um, which, you know, 34 years ago where food wasn't as available or not necessarily as calorie dense 
has a big part to do with how they perceive things and how they want to interact with their children and feed their children and the kind of things that they, um, you know, allow their children to do. And so I think being cognizant of the community, the cultural aspect is definitely important. Um, and then also things like, you know, when you tell someone in the community, hey, you know, in order, you need to be able to um, go outside and exercise or walk or do things like this, you know, at least, you know, like once a day. But if the community is doesn't have any parks or playgrounds or green areas close by and they don't have a means of getting there, like where are they supposed to go? And a lot of these neighborhoods, they may not feel safe going outside. They're like, you know, I'd love to go outside, but no, thank you. After 6 p.m., it gets dark and I'm not going to go outside with my child and you know, take a chance on something happening. So you have to be aware of these things. And I think, you know, as a, as a physician or a healthcare worker, it's good if you can advocate for things like bigger green spaces um, within a local community to help to uh, make these things available for people. And then also you have these, um, these areas that you just don't have necessarily like good healthy food available. Um, for them. And so they're, they're kind of like healthy food deserts. You, you go and, you know, five or six blocks, every direction, the only thing you have is a corner store. And those corner stores aren't going to have any fresh fruits or vegetables. They're just going to have chips, snacks, and other things that aren't necessarily going to be healthy. They have them because it's, you know, they don't have to, they last for a long time. You know, they, this is what people, you know, go after, but you have to realize that people in these communities may not have, um, ready access to healthy options. And so that's something else that we have to be aware of in the community. And again, advocate for, you know, our, our local lawmakers and policymakers to kind of change that so that we can um, tell our patients like, hey, this is uh, something that you can do because I know that they've created these kind of green spaces or, you know, now they have like a farmer's market in your neighborhood and that, you know, will enable them to, for, to make the healthy choices that they need to make for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And it's also just the cost of it, right? You can go to um, a local store, you can go to, um, you know, a small, a convenience store, a gas station, and you can buy a bag of chips for $1.52. But if you want um, a locally grown, healthy, fresh food, that's likely going to cost more than that sack of chips or that, you know, little package of peanut or whatever you are getting from um, the grocery store. So it's, it's just the availability, but it's, it's the cost of that too, right? And then purchasing that and it going bad, all of those things goes into um, that. But um, you touched on advocacy. And um, something that I know about you is at two of your previous institutions, um, you have been an advocate and you have been uh, an ally for our LGBTQIA um, folks. And you have started a Gay-Straight Alliance at two of your former institutions, um, which is amazing and beautiful. And thank you so much for stepping out and doing that. Um, so can you dive into uh, being an advocate and the difficulties and the struggles of starting those, um, starting those organizations at, your, at those two institutions? Great. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk about that. Thanks for asking, because it is something that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, you know, when I, I, I went to uh, medical school in Texas, in um, Fort Worth, and it is a more historically kind of conservative area. And so one of the institutions or one of the, the student organizations that didn't seem to be present on campus was like a GSA, a Gay Straight Alliance. And so I had inquired about it and they said, well, there was one before, but it kind of went defunct and, you know, there's nothing really going on as far as, you know, student activities in that area. And so I had some um, classmates who were um, gay and, you know, 
we were friends and everything, but I knew that they didn't feel comfortable talking about themselves openly for feel of professional uh, reprisal. So you look at medicine, medicine is a traditionally conservative field in a lot of ways. And, you know, I was in a conservative part of the country. And so I could see where their, um, where their trepidation was as far as, you know, not wanting to be openly identifiable as like, you know, LGBTQIA plus. And so um, I, at the same time, I thought it was a shame, you know, part of the reason I served in the military was to uh, help build a country and that affords everybody, no matter what your gender or sexuality background is, you know, opportunities in this world. And you shouldn't have to uh, worry about, you know, repercussions either personally or professionally, just because you identify in this particular, you know, sexual sexuality or gender. And so I took it upon myself to kind of start the uh, Gay Straight Alliance there. And I had a really great um, faculty advisor, Vic Holmes, who actually had um, been kind of big in on this area already. He had taken, him and his husband um, had gone to, uh, were part of the, the, uh, the lawsuit going to the um, Supreme Court of the United States to uh, gain the right for, um, you know, same-sex marriage. And this was back in 2014. So this was a while ago before it actually became law. So he was a big advocate. You know, he helped me establish the group. I reached out to a lot of people. Um, and, and it was just a great experience. I mean, in all honesty, you know, for me, I, you know, not being LGBT plus myself and not necessarily having any close, I don't, I don't have any family members that were that I know of or, you know, really, really close friends. It was something to where I just kind of saw the need and I wanted to help kind of meet that need. And that really stems back from my, um, some studies I did actually in, uh, in Europe um, in 2009, 2010 for a master's in international health. Um, part of our education there was to try to think of things and they use the term the greater imagination, use your greater imagination, try to place yourself in these other people's, um, you know, shoes, so to speak, and think about like what their life experiences were. In that context, it was about thinking about people like in developing and, you know, under-resourced countries. But I kind of took that same uh, thought process, this greater imagination, and applied it to these sexual and gender minorities. And so that made it a very clear kind of goal for me, like, hey, you know, I'm here in medical school, I'm going to be a doctor, uh, but there's no reason that why I'm, while I'm studying to go into medicine, there's no reason why I can't go ahead and start advocating now for these historically marginalized groups. And so it was a really great experience. I was I was the president there. Um, I made a lot of really great friends. Um, you know, even uh, one of my best friends, Brighton, um, he came to the, the wedding for me and Melissa. He's just a, a great guy. And I know I wouldn't have met him and if I hadn't, uh, you know, started the group. And, you know, he uh, being gay and he actually being, um, you know, from uh, another country, being from uh, Africa, from actually from Ethiopia, um, he opened my eyes to a lot of different things as far as his own personal experiences. So it was, it was a very nice experience. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. I was able to do that and advocate for that because, you know, being an advocate, not being LGBT plus myself, I didn't know if it was my place. Initially, I just wanted to get the ball rolling and have somebody else step up and take kind of the uh, leadership role. But um, I got a lot of support from my classmates who were like, no, you're doing all this work. Like it's only natural for you to um, kind of, kind of keep on carrying it and just be the president of the group and everything. So it, it was one of those things that was kind of like my babies. And so like, you know, having it start when I was uh, just finishing my first year of medical school and then, you know, seeing it come to, and be kind of like a, a, a self-functioning kind of thing growing larger than what I had anticipated by the time I left was just really rewarding.
And so that was at uh, in medical school. And then um, the institution I'm at right now, Loma Linda, um, here in California is actually um, traditionally a little bit more conservative as well, being a Seventh-day Adventist organization. So it's a religiously affiliated organization. And so it's kind of the same thing in terms of, I think, um, people are, are accepted, but not necessarily like embraced or um, celebrated. And so I really did want to kind of help establish a group here called Pride, uh, which is kind of started by the residents um, to just have like a bigger vocal voice on campus. And so just kind of creating a clinical curriculum is one of the goals that we do. So it's like education um, for clinical competency. And, and no matter what your, your your beliefs or particular you know background is on this, I don't think you can argue that, hey, if you're going to be educating clinicians, whether they're uh, you know, nursing students, pharmacists, uh, you know, physicians, PAs, they need to be able to know how to interact with these patients and how to deal with them appropriately um, and how to be, uh, you know, culturally sensitive to them so that we can get the best, best health outcomes for them. Um, so that's one of the things we do. The other thing is just like advocacy as far as kind of creating uh, more of a voice on campus and helping those who may not necessarily be ready to um, talk about their, their sexuality openly feel like they have a, kind of a, a safe space to do that because like, hey, you know, everybody who who's LGBT plus here at this program, you know, they feel comfortable being out, you know, getting posters up in some of the rooms, talking about our presence here and just kind of having that 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 presence, I think, helps people feel more comfortable about being themselves if they choose to be. One of the, the uh, challenges, I think, for me over these past three years has been, you know, not being LGBT plus myself. I didn't want to um, necessarily out anybody, you know, who wasn't ready to be outed. So I've been very cognizant of that and tried not to push it too far. And then also, you know, wanting to to, to get things done, but also not having my own agenda because it, it would be, I think, um, wrong of me to say, well, this is I want to do A, B, and C, and this is what I want to do with the group, but not really asking people like, okay, what do you guys want to see happening? So I think helping people get them involved, kind of growing them in the organization and saying like, hey, you take this leadership role. Like, I'll facilitate the conversations, but I want you guys to kind of drive uh, the boat, so to speak, as far as like what we're going to do, uh, you know, for the for the, our agenda when we meet, you know, what are the, the future things you want to see come to fruition? If we're going to start doing some clinical courses to educate like the medical students, what do you guys think should be in the curriculum? Because to a certain degree, you know, it, it's not my story to tell, and they know better than I do. But at the same time, I think having someone there that's going to help advocate for these types of causes, I think, can help kind of um, strengthen them. So it, it's a it's a really great thing, and um, you know, so much of, of medicine, particularly, is uh, like driven for the individual. Like, you need to get the highest test scores. You need to get into the competitive residency. You need to get these accolades and these recognitions. And so this has nothing to do with me. And I think that's what makes it so rewarding for me because it's not something that necessarily is going to like advance my career or is going to um, do something for me in terms of like um, making a name for myself, which is not what I'm looking to do. I just want it to be better for other people in the community and for other, for future generations that come through, future students, future residents. Yeah, and so Roman, whenever you, uh, you you've spoken about your non-traditional background, um, and and you've touched on that a little bit, um, I really am really interested. You mentioned that you are a veteran and you were in the military, and then after 
um, you went on and you uh, went to medical school. Um, so can you touch on your uh, time in the military, but also being a part of a cohort in medical school whenever you're older than everyone else? You're um, for uh, you're a different generation from a lot of the other students. And so can you expand on that and kind of your experience with that and the difficulties that you um, endured while kind of in that cohort? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about that. So yeah, I, I had joined the army. Um, initially, you know, I had been married before. Uh, so it was mainly to um, support my my wife at the time and the kids because going to school was just becoming kind of a challenging thing. But I came from a military family and I knew I always wanted to join the military. So, you know, I had joined the army before 9-11. So this was kind of a different era. Um, and I very much enjoyed my time in the military. It, it was very challenging, but at the same time, I think it taught me some life skills that I, I take with me, you know, even to this day. And it was, um, it was a really great experience. You know, at the time I thought I was just doing what I was doing and, um, but I didn't realize like the level of sacrifice that it entailed necessarily. So I have a, a very profound appreciation for all our veterans across the country, because you really do give up a lot. You give up your freedoms. You know, there's something called the uniform code of military justice, which basically says that you don't, you don't get treated like you're a regular citizen. You, you operate under a different set of laws. So there's things that the military can, can do, like taking your pay away or other kind of punitive things that would never fly in the real world, right? It's, it's something that you, you, you give up a lot of your like basic rights and you have to ask permission to do things. You know, you're told where to be, when to be there, how long to be there. And so you, you give up a lot. And so, you know, my hat's off definitely to all military service members and their families. But I, I you know, I, I wouldn't trade my experience for anything. Um, I think it made me a better person, a better father, um, a lot of different things. And um, I think it, it definitely added uh, another layer of experience for me as far as viewing the world through, you know, another lens, um, you know. And so, yeah, when I, I went to med school, um, I was in my 30s. You know, initially I had planned to go right after I finished my um my undergraduate degree and I was in New Zealand. Um, but then the New Zealand thing opened my eyes and I knew I wanted to study abroad. So I did that master's in international health um, in Europe. And then I also went ahead and um, wanted to spend more time with my kids who were quite young at the time and just appreciate and enjoy them. Because once you jump into medicine, it's, it's very much like an all encompassing kind of thing. So by the time I started medical school, I was in my mid thirties. Um, and it was a bit challenging because I was, you know, at that age and most of my classmates were um, 22, 23. And so it's a significant enough difference to where you don't have a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> the, the things they were into, I was not into. I, I was not into Pokemon Go or I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't have any of these things that were, you know, at that time, I think more specifically geared towards the younger age group. And so it, it definitely was a, a bit challenging because, um, you know, I didn't have the same level of camaraderie. As, I, as other people did. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it was difficult because, again, you know, my, my sons were younger then and I had to move to go to medical school. Um, so kind of balancing the fatherhood responsibilities along with the responsibilities of, you know, being a medical student were quite challenging. But at the same time, I feel like I was also setting a good example for my kids in terms of like, hey, look what I'm doing. Even though I'm a non-traditional student, like, I'm going to be able to do this. And I know that, you know, when I graduated, you know, both my sons were there and, and they were very happy and proud of me. And my, my oldest son, Christian, 
who actually was a, just got out of the Marines and is a veteran as well. Um, he was there at the graduation and he was very, he was very teary eyed, you know, teary eyed in the way you would expect a, a child or a parent to be of a child, but he was that way because he knew, you know, what I had sacrificed. He knew, and, and he sacrificed and gave up a lot, him and his sibling to, you know, be able to see me through to this. And so, um, I, I don't know if I would change it because honestly, I think it makes me a better doctor. I feel like I have real world experiences of, you know, being a father of having traveled around the world of having been a veteran, all these things make me a better physician is the way I look at it and hopefully makes me more relatable to people. And that was one of my goals when I wanted to go to med school was like, I don't want to be one of these doctors where you go in and you feel like you're, you know, they're just talking on a different level and they don't get you at all. And you're just kind of like, okay, I'm just here and I don't want to get yelled at for, <laughs> for doing something wrong or for, you know, not losing weight or whatever, you know, be chastised. Like I want to be able to talk to them like a real person. And so I think that having those real world experiences and being a non-traditional student hopefully uh, facilitated that and, and make me that much better of a, of a doctor and a person. Yeah. And, and one of the, the themes that I've noticed across, you know, pretty much everything that you've talked about today is, is really advocacy, right? So advocating for um, people in different communities, whether they're, you know, underserved communities or they're not, they don't have access to healthy food or or, you know, um, healthcare, um, also, you know, advocate, uh, advocacy for, for everyone, you know, all races, genders, um, you know, all, all, all walks of life. And, and, and what I, I think is, is really cool about that is that you've not only just advocated for it, but you've done something about it. Right. And, and I really, really love, um, what um, you said about the greater imagination, you know, like I've been married to you for three years and I don't remember ever hearing that term before. So I, yeah, you've been holding out on me. And, um, but (laughs) one of the things that, you know, I just want to throw this out there to everyone who's tuning into our podcast is, you know, what can you do with your greater imagination? How can you step into the role of of someone else and use your greater imagination for the greater good, right? Um, because I think that that's really what you've done is is help um, help people to see things from from a different perspective, and and um, I, I think that we all have the ability to do that, and and just think about what we can accomplish if we all step into our greater imagination. Um, so, so yeah, I really love that. Thanks so much for bringing that out. And, um, so I kind of guess let's just wrap up here. Do you have anything else, Roman, that you'd really like to share with the the audience today? Um, I think we've hit on the things that I'm, you know, primarily passionate about, you know, advocacy, public health, you know, my non-traditional background. I, I do think, um, you know, both education and healthcare are very important. So I think I, I love what you guys are doing because it's, you know, geared towards uh, education, public ed, you know, K through 12, because I think those are the really the two great equalizers in our society. Um, you know, we talk about, and I think, you know, I had alluded to before, my mom had said, you know, when you come to this country, you can accomplish anything. What allows people to do that is access to good quality healthcare and good quality education. And if we can do things to make those things more accessible to people, 
no matter if they're low income, you know, parents are below the poverty line, or if they're the upper echelon, but having equal opportunities to um, learn and to challenge yourselves and to grow, I think is a very important thing. And the difficulty can be when people that are more well-to-do become entrenched in a, in a certain kind of um, way of living. And um, when you come become entrenched like that and you your children are entrenched like that, then it doesn't allow for that socioeconomic mobility, which we pride ourselves here in, you know, in the United States. We say you can you can come here, you can come with nothing and you can make something of yourself. We love to sell that story, but we have to remember that the important elements in order to achieve that, these vehicles are both education and healthcare. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much for being a part of uh, the Revo Talk podcast. And we appreciate your time. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was wonderful. Melissa, I just love Roman. (laughs) I'm so glad that he was able to come and hang out with us for a little bit today. And something that I think I, I, I was watching you the entire time and I was just dying. Whenever Roman started talking about the greater imagination, you had never heard that before. I was completely surprised. I'm like, I've been married to you for almost three years and you have never not once mentioned the greater imagination to me. I, I felt gypped, Hannah. I was like, really? I, I could- You've been holding out on me. Yes, I was. you've been holding out on me and I could have been using my greater imagination for three years now. Ugh. Yeah, I was blown away by that. No, and that is hilarious. And he, so after the call, whenever we were kind of, you know, teasing him and everything, um, he kind of gave a background of where he heard that. Like Roman is so well traveled, and um, he has he's truly been everywhere. And so whenever we were talking to him about that, um, he said that he learned that from uh, one of his professors in Norway, right? Yeah, and so <laughs> just to take that and bring it back. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about having that greater imagination mantra, you know, moving through life? Oh my gosh. I, I, I love it because, because the, the whole point of having the greater imagination, right. Is to solve problems from the person's perspective that it's experiencing the problem. Right. And so when I think about that, it, it kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm mind boggled and I'm still like wrapping my mind around that because, because we don't do that, right? Oftentimes we try to solve a problem from our perspective. So, you know, he was using his greater imagination to, you know, solve problems, um, around, you know, um, LGBTQIA plus issues, right? And he is not LGBT. You, you know, he is he is an ally. He's an advocate. He's he's all of those things. And so to hear him, you know, really like step into those shoes, I, I, I mean, it just opens up the world to me to to think about stepping. Actually, we we don't have the answer because we're not experiencing what that person is experiencing, and and we're we're trying to solve that problem from a place of privilege, and. If, if I take that privilege out of the equation, how would I solve that problem differently? Right. And like also with the greater imagination and putting yourself into someone else's shoes, 
whenever we say that, um, because, and I don't know if this is just how um, I was raised or how my previous experience has been. Whenever I think of putting yourself into someone's shoes, I think truly of greed. I think of the grass is always greener, you know, and 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 things like that. Put yourself put yourself in their shoes, you know. But so whenever and I, again, like I just I don't know why I think of it like that, but I do. Um, but putting it back on ourselves, and again, like Roman puts it in such like a beautiful and eloquent way. His entire point with that is to help people, is to think of solutions to help. Um, and, and him being a physician, you know, having that greater imagination in his workplace, you know, whenever whenever he is sitting there and trying to help someone. Um, so, and you said it perfectly, we do come at that uh, from a place of privilege. And so thinking of that and having that definition of the greater imagination, how can we use that to not just put ourselves in other people's shoes and just to help others. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I, I just think it's like really, you know, humbling yourself, right. And in, in a, in a lot of ways is, is just reminding ourselves that we, we don't know everything and we, and the only way we're, we're going to, you know, really get to a point of, of helping others is if we can understand others. Right. And so I, I have no way of knowing what it's like to walk into somebody else's shoes until I go there and I hold their hand and walk with them, right? And talk to them and, and find out what truly is the problem. Because it's just so easy for me to sit back and say, oh, well, you should do this. But really and truly, who am I to say that? Who am I to decide or determine for someone else what is going to work or what isn't going to work? without being able to walk in their shoes. Right. And and kind of humbling ourselves to understand that sometimes we truly are never going to understand. We can try to. We can educate ourselves. Exactly what we're doing with this podcast, Melissa, is trying to educate ourselves, expose ourselves to new ideas, and just constantly just keep learning. But especially whenever and and I the first thing I think of is race whenever it it um whenever I think about this idea as a white female I will never ever understand what it is like to be a Mexican American to be black in this country but I can exactly what you said hold their hand and walk with them and try my best so it, it's a very humbling experience to um to to come to that realization yeah, and and oftentimes, you know, I've 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 recently just because of this whole greater imagination that's that's come up and you 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 know, you hit it on the head when you said that's why we have this podcast is to really, you know, expose ourselves to different ideas and to new ideas and I know one of the things that we've we've said before is that you never know who's going to change your world, right? And I'm going to tell you right now that every person we've had on our podcast has changed my world in a little way. And, and that is so important to me to know that my world can be changed every single day by, by learning from someone else. And so how cool is it that we can use our greater imagination, that we can go walk with those individuals and we can stand beside them and we can tell them, you know what, I may not know what you're going through and I may not 
have all the answers, and I may not even say the right thing or do the right thing, but know that I'm here for you and that I'm willing to try and that I'm willing to grow with you and learn with you and mess up and we're going to try it again until we get it right. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of Revo Talk, the podcast from RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. If you liked what you heard today, we have an amazing list of guests that we're excited for y'all to hear from. So follow Revo Talk so you never miss a new episode. Also feel free to follow us on social media. We are on all of the major platforms under RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. Until then, see you next time. Bye.